How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Waterfowl 365. I am your host, Chris Adams. However you're listening to this thing, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Give us a like. Give us a review, whether it be on the uh, the iTunes app, Podbean, the iTunes or the uh, iPhone podcast app, whatever it is. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Leave us some feedback. You can find it under Waterfowl 365 or BTBN. Um, if you're not following along with us on social media, make sure you check out BTBN on Facebook and Instagram. That's where all the newest stuff is being put out, and uh, you can find us under BTBN. The head-to-head callmaker build-off is this upcoming Wednesday. Eight callmakers will go down to four, and uh, yeah, it'll be the final four. It's going to be pretty freaking sweet, so I'm excited for it. It seems like it's taken forever to get here, but it's it's finally here, next Wednesday. Um, if you want to get yourself a really cool duck call blank, hit up Seth Owsley over at Swampwood Products. Tell him we sent you. And uh, if you want to send one of those blanks over to me, feel free. I'll put you on the list over at Unstable Calls. You can make yourself a, uh, a really cool paperweight of a duck call. And, uh, yeah, it's duck season. Real real soon, man. We're, uh, we're hunting honkers this weekend, so I'm pretty pumped. Uh... If you want to get yourself a really nice, classy piece of apparel that's uh, not for the bedazzled jean-wearing guys out there, Fox Red Apparel, Instagram, check out our uh, website, and uh, there's a link to them as well over there. So, you can feel free to hit up all that stuff over there, and uh, yeah, get yourself some, some nice apparel. Today, I have another competition caller. It's been a while since I've had one on the line. He works at a call shop, is a competition caller. He's been around the game forever, been doing their uh, their TV, their DVD series. It's not a TV series, DVD series. I think it started back in the VHS era. So uh, without any further ado, Mr. Johnny Duck Call Morton. Johnny, how are you doing today, man? Great, sir. How about yourself? enjoying this nice cooler weather like we were talking about uh i was out in the shop earlier on my day off trying to work on some calls and it is nice not sweating to death oh yeah it's a very very nice weather right now for sure it's starting to make it actually feel like fall yeah we got a football rolling freaking you know some waterfowl seasons getting ready to kick off do you guys have a residential honker season down there yeah, it uh, comes in September the 1st. Uh, I've never personally hunted any honkers in Arkansas. Uh, all the honkers I hunted was in Illinois when I lived there for about five-year span. Nice. You guys, uh, they have residential season up in sep- the 1st of September? Here in Arkansas, yes. Dude, that is insane. I live like 20 minutes north of Branson. I live like an hour from the state line. I'm going to have to find some residential honkers to go chase yeah. for a month. Um, now, uh, we did do some teal uh, hunting. Um, I think we hunted four times, and three of the times we got them, and one time we got skunked. Yeah? Did you guys, uh, it was pretty cool that first weekend of teal season here. Was it like that for you guys, too? Yes, sir. Um, I actually didn't hunt opening day. We went the afternoon, uh, the next day and that evening, and did well, and then went back the next morning and did well. And then hunted yesterday morning, and we ended up with nine. We should have had about 15. Dang, man, that's not bad. We went, uh, 
that opening weekend went on opening morning and we only saw you know maybe a dozen but they were coming in in onesie twosies so it was like a hundred percent you know it was uh it's kind of like hunting big geese where they just come in one at a time. It made fun shooting, but uh, we never got that big concentration of, of teal that, you know, usually at one day or one time a season. Yeah. Uh, those That first evening, we probably seen 3,000 birds uh, flying around, trading around. It was just nonstop. Like, seemed like it went by in about five minutes to shoot. That's and the same thing that the, the next morning, it was the same way. There was about that many out there, and it was just crazy nonstop. That's insane, man. I know you guys do a lot of uh, uh, timber hunting. Where Were you guys doing, like, what, rice fields for teal? No, uh, it's kind of some backwater stuff that uh, off the side of the White River uh, that floods, and then once the water pulls out, it kind of holds it, and the beavers got stuff dammed up. It's kind of willows. It's just a... I'd say it's the deepest spot, uh, about four feet on average, and then most of it where we were hunting was, of course, about ankle deep, so it was just perfect. Nice. Dude, that's always the best. When you get a, you know, a wetland area and you have all sorts of duckweed and all that stuff grow up, and then you get a bunch of rain in August, and it's like yeah. everywhere is six inches deep, and it's, it's game on as long as it doesn't spread them out too much. Yeah. So you said you you grew up in uh, in northern Illinois? No, no, no. I, I, I've always I was born in Lebanon, Tennessee, but I've pretty much always been from Arkansas. Lived here most of my life. My wife's family is from up uh, Joliet, uh, Illinois, and I moved up there and became a union carpenter and lived up there for right under five years uh, and did quite a bit of goose hunting and. Until I could find somewhere, you know, that I could shoot ducks. And then, of course, I was back on the ducks and leave the geese alone. <laughs> well, they up in that northern end of Illinois, they have a pretty decent goose population, don't they? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, it was crazy uh, heavy populated. Matter of fact, they were a nuisance uh, in a lot of subdivisions and it caused a problem. Yeah, it's insane. Like, we get, you know, we'll have... 200 in a population in different like parts of the city and you know you'll have like little pockets of like 10 or 12 of those where there's kind of 200 little family groups all combined up but i went over to wichita like five or six years ago and every like you would go to an empty parking like a, a subdivision and there'd be an empty field next to it and you'd see legitimate like 10 to fifteen thousand specks snows little geese like it was insane how many birds they have and then you'd go into a neighborhood and there'd be freaking three or four hundred you know big honkers in there and it's just yeah. like, there's oh. crap everywhere neck collars everywhere it was in insane yeah we uh, you know we were building subdivisions and every time you they build one up there basically you're gonna dig at least one reservoir pond for dirt work at the site and it's just like giving them more and more habitat so I mean, it was just crazy how thick they were at times. Yeah, that's what uh, we look for around here because in my part of Missouri, I'm I'm not far enough west to hint that central flyway, and I'm not close enough over to the boot heel to get any uh, birds from there. So a lot of what we shoot is those residential nuisance honkers, and then when you get a good push of ducks, we'll start hunting that as they roll through pretty quick. 
But uh, anytime there's a big neighborhood with a new reservoir and, you know, they put fountains in it and keep open water <laughs> and it's all yeah, nice yeah. and neat and golf courses, you know, we start scouting yeah. around there and we know in three or four years there's going to be a good resident honker population over there. And uh, it's kind of oh, like wow. look around and look for uh, some feeds. Yeah. So you uh, you were born and raised... Well, you said you're from Tennessee, and then you moved to Arkansas. When did you move to Arkansas? Well, uh, um, my family was all from Arkansas. We actually moved to Tennessee. My mother was a registered nurse. She's retired, but she had a job offer over there at a major hospital. And then my dad, he actually worked at a Texas boot company, ran all the machines, did all the programming for them. And that's what got them over there. And then I was born there. And I guess we was there for until I was about just over two years old. Uh, and then we moved back to Arkansas. And I've been here ever since, except for those under five years. I, I moved off to Illinois for a while. Nice, man. So you, all you've really known is Arkansas, except for, you know, the traveling and the living out for the five oh, years. Yeah. Yeah. Now, are, have you always been from that, that central part of Arkansas? No, uh, I'm mainly up by Jonesboro, so the northeast Arkansas parts where I, my stomping gra- grounds are. Yeah. Okay. Okay, dude. That's some of the freaking best, the best hunting in the world over in that area, man. Yeah. I, I'm always so yeah. jealous because it's like three and a half hours away, just far enough away to be a pain in the butt. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely got got some good deer hunting. It's got good good waterfowl hunting, depending on you know which way you go. You got the black river you got the saint francis river up there and uh just several agricultural fields up through that way that's awesome man well tell me about uh you getting into hunting did did you start when you were a kid i assume yeah the the actually nobody in my family did any kind of waterfowl hunting my dad did squirrel hunting and deer hunting of course he would take me um i didn't get into waterfowl hunting and to be honest with you, what's crazy is I lived about, I'm going to say, two miles from, uh, why I'm having to think about it, the uh, the big picture of all the ducks. Uh, uh, clay pool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I lived about two miles down the road from that, actually on the same road that it uh, is on for until I was about 14. So most of my childhood was living there, and my dad was friends with all kinds of rice farmers that had all kinds of land and duck hunted, and I got invited with one of his friends one time and went, and I enjoyed it, Um, and then about a year later, a guy I went to school with invited me and uh, started going with him, and it was actually September till season is when we went so that first time i actually shot a duck was september till season and man i was hooked we we uh shot our there was the four of us in a blind uh on a little private little pond just off the side of the river and man we shot our limit probably 10 minutes it was just quick just bang 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 i've been hooked ever since that (laughs) so you got really spoiled one that happened to yeah. one of my uh, one of my best friends. I had been hunting for a couple of years, and I took him out in September. And his very first hunt was like a five minute blue wing teal beat down with a bonus band in there. And I told him, I was uh, like, "This does not happen. Like, <laughs> you, you know, you're gonna chase this for the rest of your life now because this doesn't always happen." Yeah, it 
it spoiled me for sure. Um, and just the high intense, the quickness, the you know, the sound them things make coming over. Just uh, I, you know, I dove hunted that season, uh, and I come out there thinking, well, this is gonna be like dove hunting. Boy, I was wrong, wrong, wrong. <laughs> Yeah, it, uh, dude, it is insane. Uh-oh. Sorry about the No, you're good, buddy. All right, now we're back in live. All right, so anyway, what I was saying before the phone call is I've been hooked ever since that day, teal hunting. Um, very thankful for my, matter of fact, he's my best friend, Jason, got me into it, and we hunted years and years together, and he has kind of got out of it recently and been more into the deer hunting. Uh, we still turkey hunt together and stuff like that. But hopefully he's supposed to be going to go this year. He's, he hasn't been duck hunting, I say, which is crazy to me. In about five years, I've been trying to get him to go every year. He says he's going to go this year. So, Man, that is crazy. I can't imagine going backwards in my eyes. Like I, I've said it on other podcasts is... I'm way too ADD to sit still yeah. in a deer blind. Turkey is fun for me. Rabbit hunting is fun for me. You know, quail, if you can find them, that's fun. Um, I just can't sit still long enough. So waterfowling, to me, was like the holy cow moment. This is awesome. You know, and it's been an obsession ever since. So I can't imagine going back to not doing it, but still hunting something yeah. else. He, he uh, what rubbed him wrong is just the public land stuff was getting so hectic you know especially right at the tail end whenever he stopped and having the the craziness at the boat ramps and everything and he's got a little bit of a temper so he said it's just best that uh he gets away from that (laughs) so yeah he hasn't been hunting since then and what's crazy is he's so die hard i mean we would hunt every single day we possibly could i mean just non-stop and him from him going from that to not hunting at all was just crazy to me yeah i i can't say i blame him there especially in the area that you guys are and there's parts of missouri that are like that that are just so the the public opportunity you know it's either i can't imagine living where i live right now i could hunt every single day of the season if i wanted to and know that i'm not going to get turned away is it yeah. going to be limits, and are we going to see 50,000 ducks, you know, coming off of a refuge or anything like that? No, that's pretty rare around where I'm at. We have four rivers. is like two and a half hours uh, northwest of me. So it's kind of like a, a in-between a goofy flyway. But I know that I can hunt every single season. I'm not going to get up and waste my time, you know, where you might get turned away in some parts of the state in a lot of places in Arkansas. Yeah, uh, you know, a lot of the places we hunted, of course, it was before any of them had a 4 a.m. time limit, and a lot of the places that we hunted then still don't have that. But the the thing that would bother him the most is, you know, he's a hard worker, as I was, whatever it took to to be more successful, we was going to do that. So if it took us getting out there at 10 o'clock the night before to get the hole, you know, we were going to do that which is fine but the thing that would ruin it is just you'd get out there and hold your hole and get there you know stay all that time and then people would show up right at shooting time and set up 50 to 60 yards from you it just all that work and time you spent out there just for somebody to show up to ruin it is aggravating yeah that's freaking that's aggravating it this season for freaking teal season 
there was one of the big yeah. refuges over in, uh, or one of the big pu- uh, public areas over in the Boot Hill of Missouri. And this guy took off work early on a Friday at like noon, and he said there were people with tents already set up in the parking lot, you know, camping <laughs> yeah. out for the freaking duffel yeah. for teal season. You know, something yeah. that's like the most hit and miss season you can possibly have. That's a fact. <laughs> like, Teal, I'm going on opening weekend because I know it's opening weekend. You know, I've been dreaming. Yeah, you gotta go. Yeah, I don't care how horrible it looks, how hot it still is. But after yeah. that, if it's not a cold front or a weird change of weather, I'm probably not yeah. going to be going. I'm going to be hanging out with the kids or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, totally agree. So you, you got hunting out there, and it's crazy that you grew up right around Claypool because of that footage, oh, yeah. and that picture is so epic that I feel, when I talk to people that don't waterfowl hunt, and they do like every other type of hunting, they're like, well, why would you duck hunt? You know, they're, you can go to the park with a loaf of bread and freaking shoot ducks and geese, and I'm like, well, it's not <laughs> like that in their natural, you know, yeah. environment. No. <laughs> so I can imagine, no, go ahead, buddy. Uh, that little duck will make you think that they're smarter than you and uh, you know it's crazy (laughs) (laughs) dude they it yeah and you know freaking not local geese that we chase so much is you know we'll watch stuff hit the same field for three days in a row the weather is perfect nothing has changed all the conditions are the same they've been hitting the same time you know and then you go set up that next day, and they fly out a completely different direction. You're like, what the hell are we doing here? You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't tell you how many times I said it over the last couple of years of, like, I don't even know why I do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of like, you know, this weekend, I, when I talked to you last week about uh, doing this and everything, I was possibly could spoke with you Saturday, but I plan on going and getting in a deer stand. Well, I ended up taking my daughter uh, to try to get her her first deer, and she's wanting a buck. So we sat in a pop up blind, and it was hot. Yeah. But I just to talk about something coming every day. Uh, there was this little six point that'd be perfect for her for her first deer, a young deer. You know, <laughs> that thing was coming every day, sometimes three or four times a day to this uh, little food plot, and. He'd be there in the morning when the sun comes up. He'd be there when it gets dark. So anyway, you know what happened? We went and sat there for two days, uh, seen all the other deer, of course, that had been coming. There's uh, about three does and two fawns that were coming to it pretty often, too. Yeah, never seen him. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as a kid, I remember going, and that was always my experience, was the deer hunting thing. I didn't hunt for a long time. I didn't hunt until I was in my 20s because I got drug around and got excited for deer hunting when I was a kid. And then it was that, that age-old tale of not seeing anything, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And not being able to sit still, not being able to fidget, talk, do all the normal stuff I'm used to doing as a kid. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got to the point of being a, a young a young or i guess a late teenager and then be like hey you want to get up and go hunting today i'm like ah, oh, no i'm gonna go hang out with my buddies you know yeah 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 <laughs> and that that was one of the big things for the duck hunting too because you know my dad would take me deer hunting and i had to be so still so quiet and uh i started doing that duck hunting thing and you could enjoy that with your buddies and have a good time you ain't gotta be quiet and still and 
I was just like, man, this is awesome. <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite parts about duck hunting is the absolute, like, you have to have some thick skin. I'm sure it's that way with you guys, too. Some oh, thick yeah. skin to hang out with us, man. We are freaking mean to each other. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, no doubt. Did the not having to sit still is uh, my favorite part and just messing around with each other. And, of course, a good hunt oh. always makes things great. Oh, yeah. But, uh, you know, just being out and screwing around and people will always ask they're like oh you guys going hunting we're like no realistically we're just gonna go watch the sunrise together and make fun of each other for the next three hours (laughs) yeah right Uh, it's just a bonus to get to shoot some dogs yeah exactly man so how'd you get into uh this this competition calling side of things well i i had it in the back of my mind for a long time because i knew a few people that did it that i went to school with but I never did think I was good enough. I was always nervous to, to go try it. So I actually was still living in Illinois at the time. It was the last year I was there. And my buddy Jason uh, started coming down to the Echo Call Shop and doing the Tuesday night classes. Anyway, and I was thinking about moving back home and really talking strong about it. So I went to actually had a Jeff Foyle straight meat call at the time and went to uh, meet him and I think it was Sean Hammock I met and anyway and told him I was interested in uh, to doing the meat call or the Main Street calling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, uh, they kind of laughed at me once I blew for them. Of course, I was terrible on that call and just basically laughed me away from their table, which is okay. So anyway, I was like, well, maybe I ain't cut out for this. That's what I had in my mind, you know. So I started listening to routines uh, daily and and started trying to find a different kind of call to blow, for one. And then my buddy just so happened to start going to the Tuesday night classes, and I was talking to him about it, and I was like, man, I'm going to be coming down to visit in a, you know, uh, this would have been July, I believe, of 2006. So, anyway, I come down in July to visit, and I rode down here to the Echo Shop with him for Tuesday night practice, and man, I just enjoyed it. Rick was super down to earth, and of course, I didn't know at the time anything about Echo. I had a couple of Echo calls. I didn't even know where they was made at, you know what I'm saying? But I did have some, <laughs> right. so I kind of felt bad. But anyway, I come to that. I, I was here for seven or eight days. Uh, so I come to two of them while I was down and that made me want to move home even more. I'm like, I got to get back because I'm fixing to get serious about this contest calling, you know? So long story short, I moved back. I start going to the calling classes with him and he was the loudest person I've ever heard blow a competition call still so far. Uh, it would hurt your ears. I I don't know how he could blow it so loud. (laughs) So that it there would have been four of us, five of us at calling class on average at the time. Rusty Creasy was, is one of them that was coming during this time. And I was having trouble advancing. Everybody seemed to be advancing quicker than me, Was uh, especially on the tone and hell call part of it. And, man, I, I was getting pretty frustrated with it. Everybody, you know, was doing better each week on that part of the uh, routine and stuff and I just couldn't get it down I couldn't hit tone so 
I'd say about six weeks into practicing and coming every, every Tuesday night. I actually think it was on Wednesday nights then, but uh, coming every night during the week, I actually called Rick on the phone from my job on lunch break, and I said, hey, you know, I'm driving. We're driving two hours here. I said, there's other people that come to class, and I don't want to enter or take somebody else's time. I want you to be brutally honest with me on my potential because I feel like everybody else is advancing, and I'm not. You know what I'm saying? So I don't want to be wasting your time, my time, or nobody else's time. And he goes, well, I'll be straight honest with you. Jonathan, he said, uh, your buddy Jason has the most talent in the class right now, natural talent. He said, but out of everybody in the class, you got the most heart. So if you'll stick with it, he said, and just fight the battle, he said, I think you'll do good with it someday. But he said, you just got to get out of the hole, you know what I mean? And I was like, are you sure? I ain't, uh, you ain't just telling. I said, I can handle the truth. He said, no, I'm telling you the truth. So anyway, long story short, uh, I started practicing, I'd say, during that early part, four hours a day every day. Uh, and, man, I would just wear myself out practicing, listening, listening to other routines, and I just kept at it. And what do you know, like a light bulb went off, and I started getting it. And then, uh, of course, when I started, he told me it would take me three years to get competitive to possibly even get qualified to win a contest, you know. Mm-hmm. And I ended, I ended up doing it in just over the second year. So I was pretty happy with that. Yeah, pretty ate up with it, man. It, uh, yeah, yeah. I feel like it's one of those things that, you know, like you said, a, a switch has to flip. And uh, yeah, I've told it on this podcast, and I talked to him about it, but freaking Domingo, he was one year away from quitting competition calling the year oh, that he bad. yeah the year that he finished runner up to Phil he was going to quit yeah. earlier that year if he didn't qualify <laughs> because he had not won in a you know punched his ticket in the time that he'd been trying and then he freaking punches his ticket uh right after Rogers up at the Missouri Open back when they used to have it separated out at uh Bass Pro and Rogers at the same time Punches his ticket yeah. and then goes and finishes runner up and then, you know, he's been as good as anybody over the last couple of yes, years. And it's just kind of like a good caller. He is, and it's kind of like that switch gets flipped. Like it's, yep. you figure it out, and then it's like, hey, okay, now I can do this. Yeah, that's no doubt. So you uh, you get going in that, and you you qualify. You said in just over two years or just under two years. Just just over the second year, just over the second year, I qualified. That's freaking awesome, man! And like, were you going around to every competition you could get into at that point? Yes, and I, I can tell you this: I was in trouble with my wife uh, <laughs> about how much money I spent those two years traveling. Uh, she was keeping a, a note of it. I had no idea, but I think. The second year, I, I can't remember how many, 17 or 18 contests I think I blew into. And between food, gas, hotels, entries, I spent like $7,000 one year. Holy cow, dude. Yeah, yeah. Now, that that's with her coming with me, so that's more money. You know, and sometimes my kids went, so it's more food and, you know, but 
yeah, it, it was crazy. She was not happy with that uh, at all, but she stuck with me and still does today on everything. It's very, very uh, positive. Well, and that's a, that's the good thing about it, man, because if it becomes something that takes you away from the family and it's all this time away from the family, not only are you spending the money, but now, you know, it's hurting the relationship with the family, but them coming along, you know, it it, yeah. it costs a little bit more up front, but it's a lot better down the road, I feel like. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I blew in Michigan was the farthest, and that's where I ended up qualifying at. Uh, my first year, uh, that was like 21 hour. I don't know. It was a long drive up there. Uh, I blew in Texas that year, two different places. Uh, see, Illinois. I blew in Illinois a couple places. Tennessee, uh, Memphis, uh, Missouri. I don't. I mean, I went a bunch of places that year. Man, and that's something that I feel like. You know, you have the same guys nowadays that are showing up. Well, I mean, obviously not in 2020. I think if there was a, any big competition this year, I know they just had the final flight. I don't know how many people showed up to it. But uh, I feel like any competition this year has just got to get, you know, be gangbusters with people showing up because everybody's desperate to, to do it. But in the years prior... You know, you had the same 10 to 15 people going to all those and traveling around. Oh, yeah. But outside of that, you, the numbers are going down because you're not getting the new guys going oh, and traveling yeah. around. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the numbers, you want to talk about numbers. Uh, the second year, whenever I went to the Kansas City contest, the novice contest, my first contest I ever won, there was 46 contestants in that novice contest. That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, now you get what? Maybe 20 enter the uh, the Open? Yeah. Like, yeah, and that's a good contest, a good number. I mean, a lot of the numbers have been barely the, the 10 required, at, you know, at regionals and stuff. It, it's been scarce. Yeah. What do you think is uh, one of the reasons for it? Obviously, nobody knows the exact and everybody has different opinions, but what's kind of your take on it? Just the change in the world. Just there's so much stuff to do now, uh, electronically, and just everybody's going a hundred different ways. You know, there's just so much more to do now, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah, the attention span, man. I think we're all yeah, developing yeah. more and more ADD, and uh, yeah. you're finding a lot less guys are wanting to spend four hours a day blowing a routine. Yeah. <laughs> Have, what about these uh, the online stuff? Have you paid attention to that at all with you know no contest this year? I have a little bit, but I I was asked to blow on one of them here a while back, but I just I don't know. It, it, I would much rather be going to a contest and have the, even though it's competitors, you know, they're still buddies there, camaraderie. It's it's a totally different atmosphere. Like to me, the online stuff, I I, I don't like it. So I mean, I. It's just not for me, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. It seems like maybe guys will get more interest, like interested in it. But, yeah. you know, I've heard people say it's the way of the future and all that different type of stuff. And maybe so. Maybe there'll be more online contests. But, yeah. you know, that mindset of going somewhere and competing against somebody, you know, 
with the other guys back behind the wall. Like, that's, and the judge is sitting, you know, back behind you. Like, that's just a different feeling. Oh, yeah, there's there's absolutely no comparison. The only person that you're blowing against is yourself, you know, uh, and the recorder or whatever. So you're not seeing the expressions on other people when they make mistakes or don't or you come off the stage and people are listening to you uh, or talking to you about their routine or your routine. It's just you get none of that, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, and I, I can't remember who I was talking. Maybe it was Mingo, maybe. Dude, I've... I've talked to so many competition callers on this thing um, about guys back in the bullpen messing with each other. I think it was uh, Steiny, you know, yeah. where guys would come back and they're like, oh, how did I sound? And he's like, oh, dude, you sounded like dog crap, you know, just messing with yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. that element of things is gone. Yeah, there's definitely other competitors out there that will come in and just try to get in your head. Uh, I've had them do it to me several times. It's just funny. Like, man, did you have a little something here? And I'm like, I might have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I didn't. But, you know, there's there's people. And that's part of it. You know what I'm saying? you got to have thick skin doing the stuff. And to me, uh, if you've never done the way we've been doing it and you just started doing the online stuff, you're missing out on a whole bunch of the good stuff. I mean, and the bad. But the, the what I see bad with the Internet stuff, though, is, there's a lot of things people will say on a keyboard that they won't say to your face. So, I mean, it's just a lot of back and forth trash talking will go along on, on the, on the internet. what I'm saying. Yeah. I think there's definitely a, a history of that. I haven't followed, you know, what's going on super close right now with competitions, but, uh, I mean, there's always a history. Anytime you put something competitive, people are going to trash talk each other that they would never do in person type thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. If, uh... I stay away... Go ahead, buddy. I stay away from all that, too. Like, the online stuff, even when people say stuff about me, I I don't ever answer or say nothing back. I just let it be. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's, uh... I've talked to Josh Raggio a bunch of times about that different type of stuff in the call world, you know, in the hand-turned side of things, and he's like, I know everything that goes on. He's like, I hear about it. I read it. I do everything. He's like, I don't engage with that type of stuff. I just make my mental note and move on. Yep. And uh, because there's no good that comes out of uh, jumping on and saying anything, you know? Nope. Uh, So you're you're calling and working with Rick. So when did you end up jumping into the the shop and start tuning some calls and stuff? You got a Johnny Duck call is the, uh, the nickname that Rick told me specifically for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, what happened is when I was coming to calling class, it was during the time when Echo was growing really quicker than Rick could handle it. Um, and so he was behind on orders and stuff. And, you know, at the time there was probably four of us solid people coming and then one of them being my friend Jason. And I'd be like, I, I always wanted to learn how to make duck calls anyway. And there was a guy in my hometown where I lived at in Truman, Thurman McCann, who made calls, the old retired game warden. And I used to go to his shop and watch him make calls. Um, so anyway, as we're there during calling class, I'm like, Rick, uh, is there anything you can show me how to do to help, you know, uh, maybe get you out of a bind with order stuff? So it started out with me stamping Reed. Uh, 
during calling class in between turns. So when I wasn't blowing, I was stamping reeds, you know, if he needed them. So that turned into one other thing. And then I actually got laid off my job and I was living two hours away at the time and in Truman. And I said, Rick, I would absolutely love to work for you uh, if that's a possibility. And he, he knew how much wages I was making as, as a union carpenter. So he's thinking that I got to have something close, which he's like, I can't afford to pay you anything close to what you were making, you know. And I'm like, I understand that. I said, it ain't about the money. I said, this is something I want to do, and I've always wanted to do it. And it'd be helping you, and it would be helping me. He's like, I don't, he said, maybe part-time. He said, but after, you know, the big rush comes in, probably January or February, I might have to let you go, you know, because I don't know if I could keep you on. So anyway, I, I ended up starting, started about, it was 2007, I think I started August of 2007, and was part-time then, I was still working 40 hours a week, but, um, January came along and February came along and we started getting slower and he's like, you know, I might have to let you go. Uh, but anyway, I didn't know a conversation had gone on and with his, uh, son-in-law at the time. And basically he didn't want to let me go because I was a very good worker. Um, but at the same time, he didn't want to get himself in a pickle. So anyway, we had a sit down conversation and he hired me and I've been here ever since. Um, about two, I'd say, two years after that's when I started uh, being taught how to tune the calls. So I was here for three years before I started learning how to kind of take over his job. And so that would have been 2009 is when I, end of 2009 probably, when I started tuning the calls for the first time and him showing me how, and then I've been doing it ever since. Dang, man, that's awesome. Like, and, you know, you're talking about the, the you know, loss of income and stuff like that. And people, you know, have to understand it's the, the uh, you can't put a price on happiness, man. <laughs> like, no, no. you know, I've worked jobs where I make double what I do now. And I hated yeah. every single second of what I was yeah. doing. Every day, I just wanted to quit my job. And I was like, I got to yeah. do something different, you know, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna end up just quitting one day randomly if I don't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a bad. I, was, I was making uh, at the time journeyman's wages, and I was making thirty six something an hour regular time up there, you know. And yeah. That's that's hard I, to imagine replacing in any duck call shop, yeah, let yeah. alone one of the biggest in the world, you know. Yeah. So that he was discouraged with that, of course, and but I, I, you know, I had to drive two hours one way down here. It's 101 miles exactly from my door to his door, and I did that for about six and a half years. And now I would work four days a week and work 10 hour days. That way, I'd get that one day off, so I cut down on gas and mileage and everything. And then we ended up finally making the decision, you know to move down here and man I love it I like it down here better than where I was a lot less mosquitoes and uh, I just like there's no rice fields or anything close uh, <laughs> not have, no cotton fields I don't have to smell the cotton defoliating every fall 
and get all sick from that stuff. And I just, I really like the area down here quite a bit better. Yeah. And it's funny you bring up the cotton. They think this little COVID scare is bad. Just wait until people get that little uh, cotton cough for the next, what is that, in a month oh, now, from now. It's terrible. <laughs> I get sick every year. Every time they go to spray the foliant on and start, uh, it's just terrible. <laughs> Dude, you know what? I The only thing that I don't like about that area, and it has nothing to do with the area, it has to do with there is no good road. To get from Springfield <laughs> down to you guys, I promise you there ain't. <laughs> Sixty-five is the worst. My uh, my girl is from outside Harrison, so she's familiar yeah. with it. And we go down. When I was going to uh, Stuckart a couple times a year, and was coming down to you guys and doing different uh, like live stream events, dude. Sixty-five was the bane of my existence. The most beautiful <laughs> country through there, you know. Like I I live at the north part of the Ozark Mountains. And, uh, you know, you, you got to go right through them. Some of the most beautiful part in the country. My favorite places to go hiking. But that drive is ungodly. Yeah. And that, that was one of the other things when Rick was hiring me about the drive two hours, you know. And he's like, there's no way what I'm going to be able to pay you, you can make money. He said, you're just going to be paying for your gas. I said, well, you let me worry about that. And uh, so... I told him, I said, and when I lived up in Illinois, I said, I would drive two hours to a, to a job site. I said, even though it was only 30 minutes away with traffic, it would be two hours is what it would take me on average. And then sometimes if there's an accident, it might be four hours before I get home. I said, it was mind boggling, uh, the traffic and the craziness up there. <laughs> I said, so me getting to drive through some of the prettiest, you know, area for watching the, the ducks come down during the fall wasn't a bad gig because, you know, I'd start seeing, telling people when the ducks are coming because I had that long drive. I'd go through all, like, Wiener and Waldenburg area where all the rice fields are, pass over uh, the White River and see all the stuff flooded out. And so I was kind of a, a pretty good scout during those times because I'd know when the birds were coming. <laughs> well, that's what i do now man i drive 10 hours a day now delivering stuff and uh i'll be up around jeff city in between like kansas city and st louis area so like two or three days ahead of time I'm like hey we're starting to pick up birds you know like <laughs> yeah they'll be here in a couple days yeah well that's awesome man so you uh you get down there and when did he start doing the uh, the molded inserts? Because you said you were punching reeds, and that has to be... I remember when I went down there to do the tour of the new shop, you guys have that whole room set up for all the polycarb stuff, and that had to be a vast majority of the reeds that you were punching. Yeah, um, I, I want to say he probably made the polycarbonate call probably late 80s to to the early 90s someone there is when he made his injection molded call so he's been making them for a long time uh, and yeah we stamp a lot of reads for those for sure yeah. <laughs> you've seen how many uh we sell those to uh, a ton of call makers of course yeah that's that was uh one of my favorite parts you know when people would get upset about guys using that and i'm like you know who's laughing the most is rick <laughs> he's like yeah, <laughs> yeah i hope everybody uses them <laughs> yeah 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 
yeah, it blew my mind seeing how big there was stock wise of all those polycarb parts. I was like, this is insane, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think he really realized how big that was going to get. I think from what I've talked to him about it and stuff, the, the main, he wanted a cheaper call mm-hmm. to be able to sell, to sell, you know? And then he, he got to thinking, well, you know, all these people coming and asking me how to make a call, and you know, it's difficult to make your own insert. There's no doubt about it. If you've ever tried to do it, you know it's hard. Oh yeah, which I, I know, you, I, I know you do. Uh, I've flat jigged 400 it, calls so far. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, I can take these and sell these and let people make their own barrel. He said, and then you know, a lot of people just do it for hobby anyway, so they would enjoy it and. I could sell some, make some money, and then be helping the person out at the same time. And I don't think you realize how much it was going to work out. <laughs> it's been pretty good. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's freaking, it's insane. And, uh, yeah, it, it definitely changed the overall game, man. It it really yeah. pumped, like, Echo up. Like, it's awesome. Because I've, I've always been a, a big Echo fan, but, yeah, that definitely... It, it surprised me even more than I thought I would be seeing how much there was and really th- sitting down and thinking about that side of things. Because, you know, that's you think about doing a wood call versus an acrylic call, and you think about the expense, the time that goes into dipping and finishing and all that type of stuff. You're like, oh, well, we can get these polycarb calls and freaking, you know, do them in the hundreds. <laughs> like, like yeah, it's nothing. yeah. Uh, so you, you get down there, you start working on uh, tuning some calls. Now I've seen you uh, doing some like Instagram videos and stuff like that. You got you do a lot of your guys' uh, like film editing and stuff. Is that right? I have just started this year. Yeah, uh, I had an idea for about two years now, and I was really just scared to do it because I used to be really computer savvy and stuff, and I used to actually want to do computer stuff when I was a young teenager. But stuff has changed so much, and I don't care about it as much. So that was kind of a fear of mine, getting into all the new technology and social media stuff, you know, uh, as far as for the company. Mm-hmm. But, man, I, I just had this idea going around in my head, like, we need to have a little web series deal, like instructional stuff, you know, and then start putting hunts up because DVDs, nobody buys DVDs anymore. I mean, it's just, you, you they're... Very few of them at Walmart, you know, just, it's non-existent. Everything is streamed online or, or digital, you know. Oh, yeah. And we, you, uh... and we definitely started seeing it in sales on our DVDs. And I'm just like, man, we have got to do something. And I just kept trying to think of a name, you know, and it was like a light bulb went off. I'm like, duck chatter. So I started researching, making sure nobody, I couldn't find nothing about it. You know, nobody <laughs> has it as a handle or nothing. Right. And I couldn't find, find nothing. So I went with that and I was just like, it's catchy because, you know, it, you're talking about duck hunting stuff. So it's kind of duck chatter. And then it's also ducks. So it's duck. I was like, that'll work. And he's like, I like that. So anyway, I, uh, it's a learning process. People I'm learning every day. I'm trying to learn something about the editing software and, picture taking uh, that's kind of where it started was i got me a still camera and started taking pictures and i've always wanted to take uh do some photography stuff and anyway it's just kind of a journey i'm on right now of learning the stuff and i'm really enjoying it and i can actually catch myself uh 
man, getting stuck in front of that screen for several hours at a time and not realize how many hours went by when I'm editing and stuff. It's crazy. <laughs> Dude, it's horrible. I had a, uh, a local TV show up in Springfield for a couple of years, and the first year I paid an editor to do all that stuff, and I think it ended up... Is it between fifty five hundred or seventy five hundred? The details I don't remember, but it was way too much for what I made out of the out of the whole experience. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? YouTube is around. I'm gonna teach myself to do this thing. I was going. We were getting up, you know, at three thirty, four o'clock, going hunting, coming home at you know nine thirty, ten o'clock in the morning, and I would edit or organize footage up until two thirty when I had to leave for work, and then get home yeah. from work at midnight, and it was. Like, those three or four hours editing would go by, and it seemed like the blink, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just as deep as making duck calls. There's so much to that stuff that... Oh, yeah, there's unlimited possibilities. I mean, I look at all the stuff, and I watch a lot of YouTube stuff, and just trying to get better on the stuff and make the next one, you know, as far as the editing, get faster at this and be able to make it look, you know, better than the last one, you know... You know, it's just always you can build on it, and it's just uh, mind blowing. Yeah, yeah, dude. It uh, there's little tips and tricks and stuff that you just pick up as you go. What editing software are you using? Uh, Premiere Pro. Yeah, dude, that was that was bread and butter. Once you get the uh, the little quick, you know, oh yeah, the shortcuts, shortcuts, and then you freaking like you set your coloring. You can get like little LUTs to where you can apply it to that, and it makes your coloring yeah. the same throughout. Like all of that stuff, it took me—I don't know—six episodes in till I really picked it up, and I was like, "Holy cow! What have I been doing?" <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> so. Oh, uh, but. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say it was really—you uh, know—I didn't know a lot about Echo when I first got into hunting, and I was typing in—you know—YouTube back before YouTube was crazy big. And, you know, mm-hmm. duck hunting videos. And it was all the, the Mallard Madness series and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, okay, this is, you know, that was where I picked it up. And that was the first, you know, company that I ever even started paying attention to because I was watching their videos all the time. Yeah. Like, on the editing stuff, man, uh, I was 98% done with a, a duck chatter, I'd say it was a month ago. And my software updated that morning. So anyway, I'm finalizing it. But there's one little clip that I'm wanting to finish before the closing. And all of a sudden, I get this little red caution sign or whatever pop up on the screen Mm -hmm. on the software. I've never, never seen it before. And I lean down to read what it says, and the whole screen went black. I'm I'm like, what just happened? So anyway... Now, this is four hours into editing. Mm-hmm. So, it's, I had it set up on autosave, and, you know, I'm hooked to the cloud. So, I'm, like, not feeling bad about it, just that it was frustrated it did that to me, you know. So, I, I open it back up, and what do you think I have? A clean slate. Yeah. Or, it cr- like, I had that happen a lot. Premiere was really glitchy from time to time. Like, I got to the point of, you know, where you learn something... And you're like, this is my program. I use it all the time. This is what I'm not yeah. changing because I'm stuck in my ways. I know the shortcuts. Yeah. But I would get like that, you know, a couple of hours in. And then it would glitch and do that shutdown. And you would, you're yeah. like, oh, it's all right. I auto-saved. I lost 15 minutes worth of work. 
and you'd pull it up and it's like, oh, the file is corrupted or something. You're like, you've oh. got to be freaking kidding me. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. So, Go ahead. So, I, after that, it never happened again. And then I, my software updated uh, about three weeks ago. So I was already leery. So I went to my settings, made sure auto save was on, make sure it's backed it up to the cloud. So I get done with the thing and I go to finalize it and this had never happened. It was during the rendering, it went out. It, the little thing popped up and said something again and it just went off. And I'm like, oh, I'm good, you know, because I've already got it all thing. It was almost rendered and it's saved to the cloud. Like I physically made sure this never happens again. Right. I go in to pull it up and it's not there. I pull up my cloud account. It's not in there. I'm like, you... Like, I wanted to call Adobe and complain for an hour because I just lost, like, this time it was about five and a half hours of editing. I mean, oh, was, my God. And it was a lot of pieces because it was different times, uh, videos from different times, you know what I'm saying? Right, yeah. So, so anyway, I go in and start YouTube and trying to figure out what's going on, why this happened, and it, yeah, the only thing I can find is it's whenever it does its update, sometimes it does some crazy stuff. So <laughs> I physically now, when I edit, every time I make a move, control S, man. Every time. Yeah. I, physic I physically manually save it every time I make it. I don't care what it is. I control S everything. <laughs> it seems like every time there's an update, it gets glitchy for a while. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know either. The Adobe Suites killed me because I was using, uh, you know, Premiere and then uh, I was using, you know, like Photoshop, Illustrator and all that different stuff. For, and when they went to that monthly payment option to where you, instead of being able to just buy it outright for a couple hundred bucks, like uh, that no. started driving me freaking nuts. I, you know, I sat down after season and I was like, well, do I want to keep this during the off season and, and use it? I'm not going to, you know, be using it like crazy or anything like that. And I was like, dude, I have like... 120 bucks in adobe subscriptions like this is insane so yeah it uh, uh I, I have three I, I was actually figuring it up this morning i have about 375 dollars worth of adobe subscription a year oh my god dude yeah it's, it's insane and yeah. it used to cost around 350 to just get one program and have the licensing for it yeah i know it <laughs> now are you uh, are you doing the duck chatter? Are you distributing it mainly on Instagram or are you doing YouTube or what? Uh, yeah, it's on YouTube uh, on the Echo Calls page. That you know, uh, we just started our own page probably about uh, six months ago or so. We're trying to get the subscribers up on it. We're actually giving away a green Bodark timber right now. As soon as we get a thousand subscribers, and we're getting really really close to that. Uh, Basically, I you know I had to do the like and share and subscribe to the channel type deal and mm -hmm. post on so I, so we're using Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So you can find the every week's episode of Duck Chatter on any one of those platforms. Yeah, I, I'm looking at your Instagram right now, and what I've seen from you know the uh, the call side of things and just dealing with it, I I shifted from liking to do the TV stuff as much to like really getting into outdoor like marketing is what I've been way interested in lately how much are you guys using the stories uh not a whole bunch i haven't 
you know, uh, when I did the give announce the giveaway call thing, I used it, I think, twice. You know, of course, put the link in the description and all that, but I haven't used it a lot. So what I think you should do between, do you guys go live very often on Instagram? Because I think that's the biggest platform outside yeah. of YouTube right now. We, we have not recently, but we have, and I would definitely like to do more of it. Uh, trying to get the Mr. Rick to do live stuff is hard to do. Oh, I know. I, I got it, him to it, sit down for 45 minutes one day while you were off that day. <laughs> but um, what I was going to say is you just yourself, while you're sitting back in the tuning room or, or editing a video or yeah. something like that, jump on there for 30 seconds if you start getting to the point where you're doing that two or three times, you know, a week, something like that, that'll help, you know, keep you guys oh, yeah. in the top bubble. And then yeah. with what you're doing on this, I just started researching this and I found that there's a program that you can use that you can upload a video like, you know, the, what you're working on right now. You can upload a video and it'll actually broadcast it to Instagram or Facebook as a live video. So it'll appear like it's live, but it'll be a pre-recorded video. So you could go live every time you release a new duck chatter on Facebook and Instagram because the live videos get an update notification oh, yeah. for everybody that's following. Yeah. yeah, so dude, that's that's huge. I think that is a play that nobody is doing, but it's yeah. really, really smart. And it'd be interesting to see how that worked you know, because you guys have a pretty good following. I think that that would do really well. Yeah, the what I was talking to him a couple weeks back about doing it. I said, man, I said we need to go live and do a thing about just talk about the history of your duck hunting and some of your most rememberable hunts. And you know, he's like, nobody wants to hear that. I said, yes, they do. Everybody wants to hear that, Rick. <laughs> yes, yes, that would be. I had a talk with uh, with Hunter Grounds about doing one about it you know, for his dad and making it into like a 15 minute like video and doing something like that. I think Rick would do just as well with that type of stuff. I think that's something that so many people want to hear. I got, when I did his live stream, when he was telling his history about that over Facebook live, yeah. dude, that got, that was like one of the biggest, most viewed videos I ever had out of all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he would do really, really good, man. But I, I like the stuff that you've been doing with Duck Chatter. I think it's really awesome. I think you, uh, you know, controlling the page, freaking bounce on there live once or twice a week. Hey, this is what I'm working on today, looking on this yeah. really cool thing. If you're having any problems with calls sticking when it gets cold, here's this tip to do yeah, that. Yeah. 30 seconds, boom, done. That's uh, a good idea, too. I think it uh it'd be cool, and then when you're gonna or even editing, because I think so many yeah. guys like the idea of editing their stuff, and now that you're a uh, a professional editor now, you know. I'm not professional. You, you're getting no paid to edit. <laughs> well, I guess. Yeah, that makes you professional, brother. <laughs> uh, uh, reminds me of duck calling. That's what Rick told me first time I. I think I got third place in the contest, and I won money in a plaque. He said, well, you're officially a, a professional duck caller. I said, 
how's that? He said, you won money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm a professional now, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what do you uh, what do you think about there being no competitions this year, man? How freaking weird has it been? Man, it's been weird. I practiced, started practicing three or maybe four different times. And I, I'm just really saddened by it. I ain't going to lie. Uh, it's a time of the year that I look forward to. And my family goes down and watches, you know. It's a stressful time, too, don't get me wrong. But and I usually don't really hunt the first week that much just because I'm so trying to focus on the world and practicing that I'll duck hunt the first couple of days, and then the rest of the time I'll wait until after the world to duck hunt. So whenever I first was hearing the rumors that it might not go on, I'm like, how could they not have it? I mean, there's ways you could have this contest, even with the thing, but I was told when I sent an email that they couldn't follow the mandates currently in place and have the contest. So I, I was sad to hear it. I hate it. Yeah, but man. It is I, what it is. It's a tradition, man. And uh, Yeah. You know, I think as far as the calling contest, I think you could do that and follow mandates, but it's everybody else. You know, the 50,000 yeah. people that pack in a stuck cart for that weekend. Yeah. It, uh, there's just no way, and it's really, I expected it to happen because Arkansas, out of all the states that I go to, has been the most, like, yeah, we don't really yeah. care, <laughs> you know? Yeah, 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 <laughs> I agree. I, I thought so, too. I think the biggest thing is, you know, probably a money issue because you're not going to have any, they can't have the, uh, what do you call it, the festival. Mm-hmm. So uh, all that inventory's gone, and then it, it just—that's uh, what I think. Probably the biggest thing is just lack of possible money coming in. It could be a bad day or a bad deal for them, that, and it just wouldn't work out. That's just my two cents on it. But oh yeah, and you know I feel bad for the people that own businesses in that town. You know the the restaurants yeah. and the hotels and. You know, the that's a huge, huge tourism event that's uh that's gone, but I can understand also, you know, not wanting to put on something like that. Like I, t- I told you I drive ten hours a day. Man, I'll interact with thirty or forty people a day. And then sometimes on my five day week I'll be on five different routes. So I'll interact, yeah. you know, with two hundred people and then they interact with their family. I had a cough one day. And uh, I told yeah. my boss, I was like, hey, man, I don't think I have anything serious. I don't feel bad. I just have a little cough. I was like, but if this is something, I don't want to be on the news responsible yeah. for giving 200 people that now have to go get tested and quarantine. Like, I couldn't imagine being the person that had to make that decision that they weren't yeah. not going to do it because that's a lot of responsibility. Yeah, and that's one of the things I was going to say about it, too, is, you know, I'm not running it and stuff, and they have liability. Like, if they would have had the thing and there was a big outbreak, you know, that could have been very detrimental for the the whole situation. So, I mean, it's probably for the best, but I just, I'm going to miss it. I ain't going to lie. I wish it was still going on. Yeah, that's that's my outlook on it. It's sad that it's not happening, but it's the right call. And uh, I talked to Teddy Hoover, you know, when they canceled Easton out there for the same thing because, you know, he was like, hey, it's the best call for everybody. It sucks, and we'll figure out something mm-hmm. next year. But, uh, it, you know, you have to do it. Yeah. 
Well, buddy, uh, what are we looking forward to, you know, coming up, what, next month? We're only six weeks away. What can we look forward to? I believe this year is going to be a very good year for duck hunting. Uh, I believe it's going to be good, cool weather. I just got a feeling and just how the weather's kind of been. The biggest thing with all the COVID deal, a lot of people, or nobody, I guess, from the United States could go to Canada, so there's a whole bunch of baby ducks that didn't get shot. So I believe it's going to be possibly a, a very, very good year of waterfowling for yeah. us. Yeah, I think so, too. You, you know, especially up north, you're not going to have the birds educated nearly as much. Um, no. North Dakota, I feel like this year has to be like Arkansas is every year with everybody changing plans <laughs> and having to yeah. go up to North Dakota because uh, that, I think it's going to ruin a lot of people's hunting in the future by people screwing up and, you know, leaving yeah. trash in the fields, rutting up fields, yeah. that type of stuff. yeah. Now, yeah, I could see that. As far as, uh, like, COVID stuff, have you guys had to change, like, any of your process, like, you know, doing any kind of extra, like, after you're tuning a call specifically, like, have you had yeah. to, like, use alcohol wipes, anything more than you normally do? We just use alcohol wipes and then, like, mouthwash and soak it in that stuff. And then, you know, basically, if we have, I, like, a, I do the Tuesday night calling class and, if we have 10 or so people in here, the first thing I do is spray the whole thing down after everybody's gone, you know, to, just to clean everything and just trying to do the best that we can with the situation. And we got, of course, big signs on our doors talking about social distancing and the, the mandates and, you know, be courteous to others. And if you're sick, don't come in. If you've been around somebody sick, don't come in. Just all those kind of procedures and, just trying to keep everybody healthy and till this stuff hopefully goes away. <laughs> I agree, man. Are you guys, uh, are you going to do any like, um, film series for like the hunting stuff? I know you're doing, you know, some of the in shop stuff with, uh, the, the duck chatter. Is it going to do like hunting videos or anything this year? Yeah. Uh, no, I won't be filming the hunt stuff. That's going to be Freddie Steel. Uh, but yeah, we're definitely going to put hunts up from, this year on on the i don't know if we'll put it on the duck chatter but I, I figure we will since we've already got that platform rolling so there's definitely going to be a lot of social media and youtube stuff coming out of this year's duck season very very cool man well i like what you're doing you know as always it's always enjoyable to talk to a competition caller somebody who works on duck calls and you know a fellow hunter man i really appreciate you give me some time this afternoon I enjoyed it, and I appreciate the invitation. Absolutely, buddy. Any time that you want to, feel free to reach out to me, and I can, you know, if you have any, I, you're, like I said, a professional editor at this point, but if you have any <laughs> ideas, always feel free to reach out, and I'll give my, un, you know, uh, uneducated opinion. <laughs> All right. I appreciate that. <laughs> if you want to uh, plug anything, like uh, your personal handle, your guys, you know, hopefully everybody knows echo calls you know yeah, <laughs> address and stuff but yeah just you know echo calls uh mainly you know start looking for the duck chatter on facebook instagram and hopefully go to youtube and subscribe so we can get the subscription number up on that and give that duck call away and we're definitely going to be giving away some other prizes uh later on 
in a few weeks. I don't want to say what they are, but we're definitely going to give away some more stuff. Then, oh, go, go ahead, but go ahead. And on the uh, as far as my handle, it's just you know Jonathan Seth Morton on Facebook, and then on Instagram, it's Johnny Duck Hall. So you can find me there. And what was you gonna say? I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was gonna say uh, you were you were said you were working on another duck chatter. You know, right when we got ready to start this thing, when's the next one gonna be up? It'll be up Friday. Uh, I pretty much try to have them done and loaded up Thursday uh, by before I go home, scheduled, and they usually drop at noon on Friday. Very cool. Yeah, I like that consistent drop time. It makes it a lot easier. Yeah, there, now there's been days where software issues that I spoke of earlier caused me not, not to be able to, <laughs> and then uh, one day uh, I think I was sick and I couldn't be here. So uh, there's been, I think, two weeks that we didn't have a duck chatter until Monday or something like that. But the rest of the time, it's been on time. It happens, man. But uh, like I said, I like what you're doing with that, and I hope you uh, you keep rolling and it keeps growing, man. Hopefully everybody get, gets on here and subscribes. Yes, sir. I hope so, too. And I enjoyed being on your podcast and enjoy what you do. And you, I hope yours continues to grow as well. Thank you, buddy. I really appreciate that, and I'll uh, jump off here and let you get back to work. All right. You take care of yourself and have a great rest of your day. All right, buddy. You too. All right, right, guys. Johnny Duck Call Um, works over at Echo Calls. I mean, doing some really, really cool stuff. Feel free to reach out to them and, uh, you know, check out the stuff, the duck chatter stuff. I noticed a a couple weeks ago and... I don't know, a couple months ago. It was cool. But uh, jump on their stuff and check it out. If you want to get yourself a duck call blank, Swampwood Products, check them out. Get some cool stuff. Build a duck call or send it to your favorite call maker. If you want to send it to me, feel free. Check out Unstable Calls or send it to any of the great call makers we've had on here if you don't want to buy one from me. If you want to get yourself a really cool piece of apparel, check out Fox Red Apparel. Instagram, we have a link on our website as well. And, uh... Get ready for the head-to-head. It's coming out in, I don't know, five days from now. Have a good one.